This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. It is Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Great to be back with you in this capacity. I was right here last night in a different capacity as the Knicks saw their five-game winning streak come to an end down in New Orleans, a game that statistically and standings-wise didn't mean anything for the Knicks, but you wouldn't have been able to tell that by the way they played and the effort that they put forth. But they came up short against the New Orleans team that had everything to play for as New Orleans in the Western Conference is part of that glut of teams that can finish as high as fifth place in the West and as low as ninth place in in the play-in tournament. And last night, even in a loss, and even missing their top two players and three starters overall, you know, just another example of and, and – and this Knicks team right now is showing us examples each and every game of just how dangerous they can be. And, you know, look, there's 20 years of history. Um, if you go back to the end of the Jeff Van Gundy era in 2001 when he left, there's really 20 years of history that I think is ingrained in people that does not allow them to completely buy into this franchise. And there's 20 years, four playoff appearances um, – Five, excuse me, five playoff appearances in those last 20 years. This will be the sixth. One playoff series victory. We know the history. There hasn't been a lot of success during that period of time. You know, I think if you looked at what the Knicks were doing right now um, with their best players, without their best players, the depth that they have shown, the toughness that they have shown, the offense that they have shown, you know, if they had any other name on their jersey, you know, if you, you slap Milwaukee on there or you slap Boston on there or – you slap Golden State on there, and I think people look at them a lot differently. I mean, you know what the nice thing is? One week from now, the Knicks will have their opportunity to show people that they are different, and that's the best way to do it. Go out and prove it as the NBA playoffs begin next weekend. But valiant in defeat, I think, is a phrase that accurately describes their game last night. One game remaining in the regular season. It's tomorrow. It's against Indiana. It means nothing to either team. I guess the Pacers would like to lose to try to increase their uh, spot in the lottery as much as possible. But again, the Knicks are going to play it straight. You know, they'll, they'll rest some guys. Obviously, Randall's already out with a sprained ankle. Will we see Brunson? I don't know. Maybe Tom Thibodeau doesn't want too much of a layoff for Jalen Brunson. Maybe he'll throw him out there for a little bit uh, just so he can limit the rust between now and next weekend when the playoffs officially begin. But that's it. After tomorrow, it's a whole week's worth of playoff talk. We already know the matchup. We know what's at stake. Storylines certainly abound. There's really only one big unknown for the Knicks playoff series next week, and that is Julius Randle and will he or won't he play? And that is a huge, huge factor that we'll have to watch closely throughout the week. All right, the number is 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. I'll be here till 6.30. We've got a good night of hockey coming up. The Rangers are in Columbus. Pre-game coverage begins at 6.30 right here. Uh, it's a big hockey night for the locals uh, the Devils are in action. They're in Boston. The Islanders are hosting Philadelphia. The Islanders are holding on to the final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference by the skin of their teeth. Entering today, the Isles were one game ahead of the Penguins for that final playoff spot. They have played the same amount of games. Pittsburgh right now, last I checked, led Detroit 4-1 to in the third period of their afternoon game. So assuming that score holds up, Pittsburgh will jump ahead of the Islanders by a point, but again, the Islanders, when they host Philadelphia tonight with a win, would jump back ahead of Pittsburgh and back into that wild card spot in that playoff positioning with the two points that they would gain from a win. And then after today, both the Islanders and the Penguins will have two games remaining in the regular season. The Devils, meanwhile, still have a chance at winning the division. 
you know, it seemed like for weeks we've kind of resigned ourselves to a Rangers-Devils first-round playoff series, likely uh, with the Devils holding home ice advantage. But that might not be the case because the Devils entered today just a point behind the Carolina Hurricanes for first place. So they're still very much in play to win that division, which would set up a first-round series between the Rangers and the Hurricanes and a rematch of their second-round playoff series last year. So there's so much going on. That's the hockey story. Basketball teams are off. They'll both wrap up the regular season tomorrow. Uh, meaningless games for both the Knicks and the Nets, and kudos to the Nets. And I haven't given a lot of kudos to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, if you uh, look back on the shows that I have hosted here on ESPN New York, but it is certainly well-deserved in this case, what they have done since the trade deadline, since unloading uh, and acquiescing to the trade demands of not one, but two uh, petulant all-stars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They finally were able to push both of them out the door. And you know what? After Irving and Durant left, the Nets this year able to accomplish something that Irving and Durant couldn't last year. And that's avoid the play-in tournament because Brooklyn locked up the number six seed in the Eastern Conference last night. And that sets up a first-round series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And interestingly, tomorrow, the Nets play their final regular season game against the Philadelphia 76ers. So that'll be really interesting to see how both coaches, Doc Rivers and Jacques Vaughn, approach that. I would imagine we're going to see some names down towards the bottom of the roster that usually don't get a big look uh, tomorrow in the season finale. Uh, I think that's in Brooklyn between the Nets and the Sixers. And then the baseball today, uh, again, it's we came in with the U2 It's a Beautiful Day song. Um, kudos to Julian Kushnick, Chantal Rankin for producing the show. Man, I'm just handing out kudos left and right. That's two kudos in the first eight minutes. I'll try to get more creative as the show goes on. Um, beautiful day here for baseball. A little chilly. I think it's a little warmer than it was yesterday for opening day. Mets and Marlins again. Uh, Mets are 4-4. Four and four. They haven't beaten anybody but the Marlins. Fortunately for them, they play them today. They play them tomorrow. And then the rest of the season, they really only see them for two more series. So take advantage of it while you can. That's a 4-10 first pitch. Kodai Senga, who got a really nice ovation as the entire roster was introduced yesterday at City Field before the Mets' home opener. He makes his first home start in his Major League debut last week. He allowed one earned run in five in the third innings against these Miami Marlins. Marlins are 3-5, and five, and they will counter with Trevor Rogers. So with the first pitch at City Field at 4-10. Yankees are 4-3 and three after losing yesterday in an ugly, sloppy game in Baltimore. It was 7-6. to six, The Orioles outlasting the Yankees in a back-and-forth affair. Yankees back at it today in Baltimore. Johnny Brito, the rookie who was really impressive in his major league debut last weekend, throwing five shutout innings against the San Francisco Giants. Brito on the mound against Cole Irvin, and that's a night game. It's a 7-0-5 first pitch in Baltimore. And again, it's round three of the Masters. They're playing through rain. If you missed the update at the top of the hour, Brooks Kepka, who hasn't won a Masters, he's won a couple PGA championships. He's won a couple of U.S. Opens. He's been kind of irrelevant. I think that is the accurate word, the last two or three years uh, since his last major championship. Uh, the reasons for that, he's battled injuries. Um, he admittedly himself has went through a, a, a tough time you know, during the period uh, of COVID and the pandemic, like so many of us did. 
Uh, and he's also now in the Live Golf Tour. So a lot of the conversation leading into Masters Week, how would the Live Golfers, uh, no pun intended here, live up against the golfers who stayed on the PGA Tour? Well, if Kepka's any example of that, uh, that is not affecting him at all. He's at minus 13 on the seventh hole. Uh, John Rahm, one of the pre-tournament favorites, is in second place at minus nine. This Sam Bennett, who's a college golfer from Texas A&M, an amateur, He's third right now at six under par. And then you have a couple of other big names, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland at minus five. But right now it's shaping up to be, and things can change, especially in weather conditions like this. Right now it's shaping up to be a two-man race between Kepka and Rahm. And it is Kepka with a pretty sizable advantage right now, a four-stroke lead as the golfers make their way through round three of the Masters. Colin Morikawa, they're showing him on the screen right now. He bogeyed his previous two holes. So he was at minus seven and trying to get into the mix, but starting to come back to the pack. He looks miserable. They all look miserable out there. I mean, it is pouring rain, but they already had a delay yesterday. They had to come back early this morning and finish round two. A quick turnaround to set the pairings for round three. And just like that, the golfers were back out there. And here we are right now in the middle of round number three. So we've got plenty to discuss. Um, my thoughts on the Knicks, uh, first and foremost, as we look towards a uh, first-round playoff series that begins either next Saturday or next Sunday in Cleveland with games one and two there. Uh, some thoughts on the Nets and their series with the 76ers as well. That series, though, not as intriguing to me. There's a clear divide in the Eastern Conference between the top three teams and then the next level, which includes the Knicks and the Cavs. And I put the Knicks and the Cavs virtually on the same plane. Cavs have the home court advantage. Knicks beat them three out of four times. Their records are very similar. Um, Cavs have a better starting lineup. Knicks have more depth. And then the big question is, um, who's going to play for both teams? You know, Cleveland has battled injuries, and the Knicks have beaten them three straight times. In two of those games, the Cavs were without Jared Allen, who, with all due respect to Donovan Mitchell, and Darius Garland, uh, a lot of smart NBA people will tell you that Jared Allen is the most important player on the Cavaliers because he is by far and away their strongest interior presence on the defensive end. And when he misses two games against the Knicks, that makes a huge difference and leaves a huge void. And then on the other side, the Knicks are still without Julius Randle since he sprained his ankle just before halftime in that Miami game a couple of weeks ago. And we haven't heard really anything as far as an update since then. The update came the following day when they said Randall would be reevaluated in two weeks. Well, that two-week time frame is this coming Thursday, which would be either two or three days before game number one of the Knicks playoff series, whether the, depending on whether they play on Saturday or Sunday. So you presume we will hear a little bit more information leading up to game one. But if he's not going to be reevaluated until Thursday, which is that two-week mark, there's a good chance that we're not going to hear anything until at least that Thursday. And that changes that series dramatically. Look, I know, first of all, there's a lot of Knicks fans out there that have never gotten on board with Julius Randle. Um, there are some Knicks fans who, in my opinion, and this is uh, foolishness, think that they're better off with Obi Toppin playing or starting instead of Julius Randle. And neither of those are true at all. Julius Randle has been a Nick for four years. Um, he's been an all-star twice. This year, he will be an all-NBA player for the second time. 
Is he a perfect player? No, we know that. I'm not making the case here that Julius Randle is a perfect basketball player. We have seen situations, late-game situations, when the ball is in his hand and he either A, doesn't come through, or B, makes a bad decision. Okay, We have also seen situations where he has allowed his temper to get the better of him. In fact, the most recent example of that was the night before he sprained his ankle when the Knicks, um, or the week before he sprained his ankle, when the Knicks lost in Orlando and he picked up a costly technical foul walking off the court at halftime when the buzzer had expired. Look, these are all things that are part of the reality with Julius Randle, but also part of the reality is 25 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, um, solid playmaking forward, and if the biggest knock on Randall, and I think it is, is that he isn't the most dependable in late-game situations, that's not his job on this team anymore. That's not his role. And I know the ball has still found him in late-game situations during the season. He hasn't come through sometimes. You remember the Lakers game when the Knicks lost in overtime in late January. And there have been other times where he has come through, like the game in Miami against the Heat where he hit the off-balance, fadeaway three-pointer from the right wing with one second remaining. But that's not his role on this team. That job belongs to number 11. That's Jalen Brunson's job. That's why they got him. And he has proven to be far better at that role than I think anyone could have anticipated. So for those who think that Randall's absence from a playoff series wouldn't be a huge detriment to the Knicks. I just think you're fooling yourself and you just don't like the guy and you're never going to come around on him. Uh, but that happens in sports. It happens all the time. Uh, it's happening in New York in baseball with a guy in the Yankees named Aaron Hicks where there are fans that just are never going to come around on Aaron Hicks. The difference is you should come around on Julius Randle because Aaron Hicks ain't giving you 25 and 10 a game like Randle does. 1-800-919-3776 is the number of 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, we have plenty on the table. The basketball, uh, we got football at the bottom of this hour. Uh, Connor Rogers will join us with a little offseason NFL talk and uh, preview of the draft, which is three weeks away, if you can believe that. It's all coming up here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Postpone the remainder of the third round of the Masters. Another weather delay. Play is over for today. Uh, the leaders, who are John Rahm, and uh, John Rahm's in second, trailing Brooks Kepka. the leaders were on the seventh hole. So they'll resume tomorrow morning. Kepka leading at 13 under. Rahm at 9 under par. And Sam Bennett, the amateur, at six under par. That's the final group. They were on the seventh hole. So they'll have to resume tomorrow and play more than a round and a half. At least the final few groups will. Uh, they'll finish up round three. Uh, they'll repair everyone based on the standings after that. And then they'll try to get round four in. So it's going to be a long Sunday, a long Easter Sunday at the Masters. Weather is really, and, and we kind of saw this coming, weather has really wreaked havoc uh, in Augusta this entire week. Two delays yesterday, including not being able to finish round two, and now after they finished round two this morning and got a decent amount through round three 
at 3.15 this afternoon. They have called play for the rest of the day. Um, I'll be here tomorrow morning on the tee. I'll be filling in for Anita Marks from 8 to 9 in the morning. I'll be actually on from uh, 8 a.m. to 12.30 tomorrow leading into Nick's pregame. But 8 to 9, wall-to-wall golf. We'll actually be joined by Anita. Uh, her thoughts on the Masters, but that'll make it more interesting because uh, usually when we do that show on the final day of a tournament, uh, we're previewing what's going to come up later. Tomorrow morning, uh, it will be ongoing as we are in the middle of our show, so looking forward to that. Uh, right now, though, 1-800-919-3776 is the phone number to call here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Let's open things up and go to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, how are you doing? Hi, Pat. You know, Knicks had a good season, very good. They finished ahead of five out of the six teams that they should have finished ahead of. The Nets, Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, and Chicago. The only team they could have finished or should have finished ahead of was Cleveland. So they had a very successful season. Uh, In the Western Conference, Pat, I like numbers, I like using my head, and I like sports. So you have 10 teams in the Western Conference, correct, that are in the playoffs, including the four in the uh, play-in, correct? Yeah, we already know the 10, yep. Okay. Throw out the Lakers and Golden State. Throw them out. Okay. You have eight remaining teams. If I was to ask you, Pat, which of those eight teams and their ancestors, their predecessors, won a championship? Only one of those eight teams in 400 cumulative years, 400 cumulative years. In other words, those eight teams averaging 50 years in the NBA, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, but the average is 50 years. That's 400 years. Those eight teams have produced one championship. Are you going to let me guess who it is? Yeah, take a guess. It has to be the Sacramento Kings would be my guess, as the Rochester Royals. No, no, no. Sacramento was the Kansas City Omaha and Cincinnati Royals, they won in the 50s, but I'm not going back 70. Oh, that doesn't count? That's 75 years. There's a team that more recently won. How many, how many years, how many years did Genesis, you give me? Say it again? How many years did you give me? Well, it's 400 years, all 18 Oh, oh I'm so Oklahoma City, the Supersonics in 1979. Correct, you got it, 1979. That's it. So can you imagine if a team in the West, outside of Golden State and L.A., wins it, we would have a first-time champion for one of those teams. I think that would be the best story in the NBA, to see one of those teams win it, any of them. I don't care if it's Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, even Phoenix. Never won it. They came in with the Bucks in 68-69. Oh, no, 69-70. So I'd love to see – I don't want to see the same old – I don't want to see Boston, Philly, or uh, – well, Philly hasn't won it. Well, Philly hasn't won it in a long time. Right. But Boston, I mean, I don't want to see Philly walk- for different reasons, but they haven't won it in a long right. time. And obviously we don't want to see Golden State or the Lakers because enough of them. So I'd love to see a new winner this year. Very good. You knew about the Supersonics becoming the Oklahoma City team, right? That Richard, was what do you think team, I'm doing here, man? You think it's just a right. hobby for the me? Teams like uh, 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 the Clippers with a Buffalo Braves, Sacramento, as I said, with a Kansas City Royals. The before that, the Oklahoma, uh, Omaha, uh, uh, Kansas City, Omaha, and then Cincinnati Royals before that, and then you had Memphis, new team. Denver was an NBA ABA team, never won it. You know, three out of the four ABA teams have never won a championship. The Nets. Uh, Denver and Indiana. The only one that's won it multiple times, obviously, was San Antonio. And Denver's the only one of those that has never been to an NBA Finals. The Nets. No, have of been the to four. A no, four. The Nets. Oh, of those. Right. Denver's They've never, never been, been to a, right. Nets they went to a couple. Close. 
the Pacers went to one. They lost to the Lakers. Denver hasn't even yeah, been Denver, to the finals. I guess Denver won with uh, – they went to the championship, the NBA – the uh, Western Conference championship with, uh, with Carmelo. That and they it. went during the bubble year, too, when they lost to the Lakers in 2020. Okay, so they've been closer then. But it'd be good. I'd love to see some new blood in the NBA. That's it, you know? You don't want to see the same teams winning. Something new, that's, that's always good to watch. And let's hope the Knicks can make a little noise. Even if they lose in seven games or six games and respectable – I wouldn't say it's a lost season. They've showed a lot of progress. Like I said, Pat, they've passed the five teams that they should have passed. So they had a good season. You know, we don't know. And another thing with Julius, you know, you don't get any style points as you score. You know, he's a scorer. He doesn't look great. He's not smooth. I know basketball purists. And, we, you know, New York City, we have so many people who play basketball, who know basketball. New York is a basketball city. You know that. And the Nick fan and Nick Town uh so, you know, our critiques of players are much harder than they should be. And Randall does not look like an efficient player. But he gets the job done. Look at his stat sheets every game. You can't neglect that. And, uh, yeah, the turnovers at the end of the game and the arguing with the refs, we don't like that. We understand, I understand that. But by and large, he's an effective player. He's a productive player. And you need all the production you can get. He's not perfect. Always a pleasure. Thanks. He's not perfect. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the call. And he kind of spun me into the next point that I wanted to make regarding the Knicks and their upcoming playoff series against the Cavaliers. But let me just give you this. Toppin has had his moments, most notably Wednesday night. In Indiana, when Toppin and Grimes and Quickly became the first trio of Knicks to score over 30 points in the same game since March of 1979, Toppin scored 32 points. If you look at Toppin's career numbers, he has now made, including this year, 14 career starts. In those 14 games, he's averaging about 20 points per game. One thing we know about New York fans, they always love the homegrown guy. They love the guy who was drafted by the team and brought up. And the Knicks have a lot of them. Not their most prominent players, but they have a lot of them who are important players in the rotation. Toppin, Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, Jericho Sims. But Toppin was, of those guys, the highest pick. He was the eighth pick in 2020. He was the national player of the year in college. Uh, he was all set to take Dayton on what I think could have been a pretty fun NCAA tournament run, but COVID canceled the tournament that season. He's a likable guy. He can fly um he gets up and down the floor he's always got a smile on his face I mean there's a lot to like about Obi Toppin and he has performed during these especially last four games while filling in for Julius Randle as the starting power forward but to Richard's point which backed up my point 25 points 10 rebounds doesn't grow on trees okay it doesn't and here are Toppin's rebounding numbers the four starts that he has made since Randle went down one, one, three, and four. He started four games since Randall went down. He has a total of nine rebounds in those four games. I'm not trying to come down on Obi Toppin and demean what he has done. All right, he shot the three point ball very efficiently. He's getting out in transition and he does add that element to the Knicks game. And as a starter, he's averaging just under 20 points a game in those four contests. But the man has nine rebounds in four games as the Knicks starting power forward. Julius Randle oftentimes has nine rebounds by halftime. All right? Just to show you that Randle's production, as frustrating as Randle can be at times, 
that production, you can't just take him out and say, okay, now it's your turn. Give me 25 and 10. It's not that easily done. And Randall's now done this two out of four years. And even last year when he was feuding with the fans and his body language was poor, he wasn't in consideration to be an all-star. Even last year, he was still a 23-9, and 23-10 and 10 player for the Knicks last season, and that was in a bad year, all right? So you can't just write that off like, oh, anybody can do that. That's all I'm saying about Julius Randle. Now, there's been a lot of conversation this week that considering the Knicks are playing against the Cavaliers and all of the recent history between these two franchises, specifically revolving around Donovan Mitchell, if the Knicks season ends in the first round of the playoffs, this has been a popular opinion this week on this radio station and on other media outlets, that if the Knicks lose in the first round to Donovan Mitchell and the Cavaliers, this season has been a failure. And I, I really I can't disagree with that strongly enough, that this season would be a failure if the Knicks lose in the first round of the, series, of the playoffs to Mitchell and the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers were supposed to be a better team than the Knicks were this season. The Cavaliers saw an opportunity to cash in their future first-round draft picks to bring their team to the next level by bringing in Donovan Mitchell, who is averaging a career-high 28 points per game. He's the seventh-leading scorer in the NBA, and it worked. They vaulted from last year losing in the play-in tournament to being a top-four team in the Eastern Conference. But do you know which team has made more progress than the Cavaliers have this year? It's the Knicks. The Cavs went from a play-in team to the top four. The Knicks went from not even a play-in contender last season to the top five. Where did they end up? They ended up in the exact same first-round series as the Cavaliers. Two games behind them in the standings. They've beaten them three out of four times. And whereas Cleveland had to trade young talent like Larry Markinen and Colin Sexton and, more importantly, future first-round draft picks to Utah to get Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks are sitting on all of their future first-round draft picks, except for coming up this year. Uh, and we'll get to that and what Dallas did last night uh, in being eliminated from play-in tournament contention. All right? So the Knicks season is not going to be judged on what happens in a first-round playoff series against the Cavs or against anyone. And I just think that's a talking point that was brought up in off-air production meetings to try to drum up some conversation about the NBA, frankly, by people who don't watch the NBA on a day-in and day-out basis. Well, you know what? Consider yourselves lucky because I'm sitting here right now and I watch the NBA on a night-in, night-out basis. And if you're paying attention to the Knicks nightly this year, under no circumstances can you consider this season a failure. Maybe if they get swept by the Cavaliers in the first round, but let's be honest, anybody who's paying attention to this Knicks team, who really thinks that's going to happen? I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked and blown away if the Knicks are swept in the first round by the Cavaliers. The Knicks were projected to win anywhere from 36 to 39 games. They've got 47 wins with a game to go. A successful season at the beginning was considered to be the Knicks in the play-in tournament. 
they bypass the play-in tournament. They bypass the six seed. They're the number five seed, and they find themselves in a winnable first-round series against an opponent they know they can beat. The Cavaliers aren't winning the NBA championship this year. The Knicks aren't winning the NBA championship this year. But the Knicks have closed the gap between where they were and championship contention more than the Cavaliers have. And the Cavaliers are the ones that made the move for Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks have closed the gap more than Cleveland has. The Knicks have closed that gap more than most NBA teams have this year because of Brunson, because of Randall's resurgence, because of Quickly's development, because of the center combination of Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein and because of what they still have in their treasure trove of assets going forward. Salary cap flexibility, first-round draft picks, multiple first-round draft picks in several years, second-round draft picks. Oh, and by the way, a new culture that they haven't been able to sell at Madison Square Garden until, I would say, the last year when Tom Thibodeau and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle set this franchise in a different direction. So to take all of that into consideration and say if the Knicks lose in six games in the first round to the Cavs that this season is a failure, if you think that, you're really just not paying attention. But again, like I said earlier, the Knicks are going to have an opportunity to make that a moot point starting next weekend when the NBA playoffs get underway. I will get some football talk before the uh, top of the next hour. Connor Rogers will join me in about 12 minutes or so to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, More of your calls as we continue at 1-800-919-3776 on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, Quick hockey note because it affects uh, New York sports as a whole. Pittsburgh wins today. The Penguins, they jump a point ahead of the Islanders, but the Islanders play later today against Philadelphia, which is long out of the playoff race. So if the Islanders win, they jump back ahead of Pittsburgh uh, into one of the final wild card spots. And if the Islanders get in, that means you, you already have the Rangers in, the Devils in, the Knicks are in, the Nets as of last night are in. If the Islanders can get one of those wild card spots, it will be five for five for the New York, New Jersey winter sports teams in the playoffs this year, um, which could set up a really, really fun spring. Obviously, high expectations for the Yankees and the Mets as both of them went to the playoffs last year. The Giants went to the playoffs last year. And look, we we know how um, interesting the Jets can be, uh, depending on if and when uh, they and Green Bay can work something out regarding Aaron Rodgers. All right, let's get back to the phones. Andre has been waiting in Westchester. Andre, how you doing today? How you doing there, sir? Good afternoon. I'm my first thing first. I, like I said, I'm a Knicks fan, and I'm rooting for all the players. So I wish Julius Randle would come back with a more solid mindset in terms of contributing to this team, being a better teammate. But with that said, I was telling the uh, your producer, um, you know, I see like with Ob in there, it has make an impact on terms of other players, like Mitch Robinson's numbers when playing with Ob with more touches has more been a more of an impact and beneficial for the team than in previous times where he felt he was just running up and down the court, wasting minutes. Um, but like I said, let's go Knicks. I root for the best. 
Let's go. Thank you for my call. Thanks for the call, Andre. Look, I like Obi, and he is an important part of the rotation. Um, he's played well in this opportunity, which I think has been really important for him. Because if you looked at Obi's productivity and minutes before the Randall in injury, um, he was playing. Look, th th this is going back to the West Coast trip when they went out to Sacramento, Los Angeles, and Portland. I mean, these were Obi's minutes. Um, 12 minutes, 13 minutes, 12, 14, 12, 11, 12, 12. I uh, played 20 minutes in a blowout win against Houston. Uh, and then uh, the night that Randall sprained his ankle, he played 17 minutes. Since he moved into the starting lineup his last three games, he's played 33 minutes, 43, and 27. But my point is, by looking at his minutes totals from all of those games throughout the month of March, by the way, the Knicks won the majority of those games, his uh, hold on a spot in this rotation was tenuous at best. Um, now, with his recent productivity and you get the opportunity and you take advantage of the opportunity that when if Julius Randle does come back in the playoffs would put him on more solid footing to claim his spot in the rotation coming back off the bench in the postseason. The Knicks are and, and I'm not saying our last caller was arguing that they are. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage what Obi Toppin can bring. My, my point is I have heard in multiple circles that the Knicks are better off with Toppin than Randall, and I just don't think that's true. And I think there is um, actual data to back that up. And to be honest, I, I don't think you have to make that hard of an argument to prove that the Knicks are better with Julius Randall than they are with Obi Toppin. Not to say that Toppin doesn't have his spot on this team. And again, I think he has made that spot more secure with what he has done the last four games when he has moved into the starting lineup in place of Julius Randall. He's also, look, the Knicks might not have Randall. Maybe he's out for games one and two of the Cleveland series. And Toppin has to start and play important minutes. And if he does, his performance during this run has given the coaching staff more confidence that he can perform in a big spot. But asking the Knicks to go into Cleveland with all they have and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, all-stars, and uh, win a series without Julius Randle is a really, really tough ask. All right, we're going to switch the conversation to football when we come back. Connor Rogers of SNY will join me. We'll talk a little uh, Jets, Giants, and NFL Draft, which is coming up at the end of this month here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Rangers in Columbus to take on the Blue Jackets. Today is, what, the 8th of uh, April. So we're talking 19 days away from the NFL Draft. It'll be two weeks from this coming Thursday in Kansas City, home of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Connor Rogers, who wears, like many of us in the business, many hats, NBC Sports, and here in New York, the uh, Jets pre- and post-game coverage on SNY, joins us with a little sneak peek at the draft, which is coming up before we know it. Connor, thanks for the time on this uh, Easter weekend. How you doing, buddy? No problem, Pat. Always great to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. Always great to talk to you. Uh, before we get to the draft stuff, let's do a little off-season stuff for the Jets and the Giants, and let's dive right in, shall we? Uh, when will Jets fans know who their quarterback in 2023 is? I think pretty soon. I think it's good. this one's going to get done before the draft. That was really the big question because that's our next deadline period. So when you look at it, obviously they have the two second-round picks that both fall into the top 50. I think one of those picks has to go back to Green Bay in this trade. And Green Bay – 
Obviously, their motivation to get this deal done is to have an extra asset that they could potentially use to help out their young quarterback that they're moving to in Jordan Love. So I think for the Jets, ultimately, they'll have this Aaron Rodgers deal sorted out uh, within these next, what, two to three weeks. And honestly, they're operating like they have them already as we sit here on this Saturday and, and see that they're going to be bringing Odell Beckham for a visit. And it's pretty clear if that deal gets done that Odell's motivation to sign with them is to play with Aaron Rodgers. Give us an idea, Connor. What will the compensation look like uh, when all is said and done? To me, this year it's pretty cut and dried, right? I think it's going to be one of those second-round assets, whether it's 42 or 43. It'll be interesting to see how they decide that. But where it gets more complex is the following year because of the fact that it'll be on conditional terms. I think that it'll be a situation, maybe a pick as low as a third-rounder, that has multiple stipulations that can work up. And I, what makes sense to me, Pat, is the situation of the pick working up to a second rounder if you built it in on stats base that Rodgers played almost the full season. And then it only goes up to a first rounder based on how far the team actually goes based on overall team success. So you could do it uh, along the lines of if he throws for 4,500 yards, it can go to a second round pick. And then if he accomplishes that and the team also makes it to the AFC championship game, it could become a first round pick. So that's the conditional terms that give the Jets insurance. But we also know Joe Douglas is a bit of a stickler in trades and really, really holds on to his own values. So nothing would surprise me in terms of how stingy he gets when you consider how long this has dragged on. So it feels comfortably around a second-round pick in this year's draft, a lot of different conditional terms in the following year's draft pick. And then maybe they throw in Corey Davis going the other way just because Green Bay's wide receiver room is so thin, and that is a problem the Jets currently do not have, and it could get even more interesting if they do add Odell this week. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the the Jets pick at number 13 right now. So um, assuming they have Rodgers in the fold and all the other offseason moves that they have made, what are the biggest needs for the Jets that can be addressed at that spot? I mean, to continue to bolster an offensive line that was up and down and mostly hurt last year, I think that's in play, whether it's one of the top tackles in Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones, you Peter Skorowski, who could probably play all five spots on the offensive line. He would be a guy that if he fell into their lap, it's hard to pass him up. And then you look at some of the other tackles, like Darnell Wright and Dewan Jones, they're only right tackles. So how do the Jets view their roster? They have Dwayne Brown coming back. They have Mekhi Becton and Max Mitchell coming back. And then if they feel comfortable with their offensive line, they still need a center, by the way, as well. They don't even have a starting center on the roster. But if they feel comfortable enough with their offensive line by the time we get to that night one of the draft. Maybe they look to add more pass rush help on the defensive line, whether that's an actual edge rusher in the capacity of a Nolan Smith-level player, or they even look on the interior, somebody like Elijah Canty from Pittsburgh, to have a pass rushing D-tackle play next to Quinn and Williams. And you know how much they rotate their defensive linemen, and that's why they're always willing to add some. So the Jets, it's, it's pretty clear cut that they're going to be looking to add to the trenches in the first round. It's just a matter of what side of the ball that falls on. Connor, it seems to me that the positions that most teams overpay or overdraft for are, are the skill positions. Obviously, quarterback is the prime example of that. But, you know, running backs, not so much running backs, but wide receivers as well. Is it fair to say that the Jets are in an advantageous position? Because assuming they get Rodgers in the fold with the wide receiver moves they've already made with the running back room the way it is, um, I guess Rodgers would be the last piece as far as solidifying your skill position players. Is that fair to say? Yeah, especially in this draft, right? You're picking in the top 15 still. That 13 pick's not going back to Green Bay. The Jets are operating like they're making that selection. Everything they've handled with their private visits, workouts is operating, but they're making that pick. And then 
You look at this draft class where realistically four quarterbacks are going to go before 13, and you don't need a quarterback because you're operating on the, or the assumption you have Aaron Rodgers. Well, then the big board starts to look kind of pretty in terms of the blue-chip talent that could fall into your lap. If four quarterbacks go before 13, and then you have nine players across the board, it's you know the Jets are in a spot where they can get one of the top-end players before it starts to fall off a cliff. So it's absolutely spot on that they don't have to reach on a wide receiver. They don't have to just take a quarterback because they don't have one. They're in a spot where they need to get a player, uh, a best player available, as much as they need trench help. But a lot of the top players in this draft do play in the trenches. All right, let's get to the draft as we continue with Connor Rogers, part of the Jets' pre- and post-game coverage on SNY here in New York. Connor, uh, who is the first player selected in your mind? Yeah, I think it's going to be Bryce Young. I really do. And I know that's not been popular. I know C.J. Stroud has kind of been the betting favorite and the popular name out there. But I just go back to logic over and over again. As somebody that really likes both of these quarterbacks, I just go back to the logic that tells you Bryce Young, despite the size, uh, being a size outlier, he's probably going to play under 200 pounds. He's not six feet tall. He's the best quarterback, and he does everything that you'd look for in a pro. If you go worry about the size, you go, well, usually guys that are smaller struggle to throw in the middle of the field. Well, he's the best middle-of-the-field thrower in the draft. He's got quick-twitch athleticism to protect himself and reset when he needs to. He's incredible pre- and post-snap. I mean, I think he's the best pre-snap quarterback that I've seen in terms of intelligence since Joe Burrow. So, when I go through all of those things, if I can see that, just little old me sitting here, well, Frank Reich, Josh McCown, you know, those guys said that live and breathe the position see that and care about that. So I think it's going to be a close call. I think it's something that they're probably having these arguments in the war room right now because of Stroud's size, and he's a really polished passer as well. But I think at the end of the day, logic always brings you back to the guy that is built to succeed at the position right away and has a high floor despite that size, and that's Bryce Young. You have Young, you have C.J. Stroud, who put up monster numbers in college. Anthony Richardson is the guy who they say has the highest upside. And then there's Will Levis out of Kentucky, who maybe is the prototype quarterback that we're used to, uh, you know, going back generations. Those are the four that have separated themselves. Do they all go within the first 10 picks? I think they have a real good shot. I really do, because you have to look at it in the scenario that, listen, the Panthers are taking one, the Texans are taking one, and the Colts are taking one. So who's the wild card? Is it the Raiders? Is it a trade up, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Washington? Uh, I always bet on the wild card when it comes to top quarterback talent. So I think those four go in the top ten, and then I think Hendon Hooker also goes in the first round. I saw a line the other day saying, you know, that over four and a half quarterbacks in the first round is plus money right now, and that shocks me. I think we're in for a draft that easily five quarterbacks can go in round one, especially when you factor in with Hendon Hooker coming off the torn ACL. A team wants him in the first round to have the fifth-year option on him. So, yeah, I think this is a very, very quarterback-heavy first round like we saw in 2021. You mentioned the Jets as a team that will benefit from something like this because once the Rodgers deal is done, they will have a quarterback. But is there a team closer to the top of the draft, Connor, that you think will benefit because it doesn't need to draft a quarterback, so a non-quarterback who might not normally be available will still be available where they pick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one, out of the third overall selection because of the demand for quarterbacks, demand for a guy like maybe Anthony Richardson. So it helps Arizona get out of the pick. And then when you look at Seattle and Detroit, they're getting players at five and six that should be drafted in the top three, whether that's Will Anderson Jalen Carter, there's a laundry list of things you need to figure out with him character-wise, but in terms of talent, 
he's a top two talent in this draft. And then maybe even a guy like Tyree Wilson or Devin Witherspoon, the corner from Illinois, who's phenomenal, uh, falling into a place like Vegas or Atlanta where they both need corners. So I think all of those teams that aren't pigeonholed into cornerback in the top eight make out like bandits because they walk out of this draft with top five players. Giants have the 25th pick. Uh, we're not used to seeing them pick that low in recent years. They've become a staple in the top 10. What are, what, what are their needs that would be available at that spot? I think they're on wide receiver, corner, and offensive line. Those are the three positions that I've heard they've done the most homework on. Now, wide receiver is a bit of a toss-up because you have the fact that the best one in Jackson Smith and Jigbo won't be there. And then you go through a lot of guys with different question marks, whether it's Quentin Johnson's hands, not a natural pass catcher, but he's got the size and playmaking ability that the Giants need on the outside. Jordan Addison, I mean, are they going to keep adding how many small receivers? As much as I love Jordan Addison, the Giants at the wide receiver position are very small right now. So I don't think wide receivers are a lock as much as it's a need. And then you look at the center class. I like John Michael Schmidt. He's somebody they could take at 25. They need, they desperately need a franchise center. But corner is the position I keep coming back to with the Giants. Wink Martindale uh, really wanted one last year. You know, unfortunately for the Giants, Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley were gone, so they weren't able to address it then. But now you look at 25. Can Deontay Banks make it there? Do they like a player like Cam Smith or Emmanuel Forbes? I think the Giants want length. They want a guy that can play and press, and they desperately need one that will be there beyond this year. So I think cornerback is absolutely in play at 25, especially when you factor in the depth of this class and how vital of a position it is in Wake Martindale's scheme. Lastly, Connor, uh, assuming the Aaron Rodgers trade is settled before the draft, that leaves Lamar Jackson, obviously, as the, the biggest name in the NFL that is uh, still unclear on what's going to happen. What, what do you think the resolution is here with Lamar Jackson? I truly don't know if one exists, and it's a shame to say. It's really uh, the system that the NFL has built with this non-exclusive tag that it's hard for a lot of teams to get in the bidding because they're worried in that five-day window the Baltimore Ravens would have to match it, uh, that they are, you know, on the fifth day it gets matched and no quarterbacks were there. So a lot of teams went into the offseason – not with Lamar Jackson in their plans. And I think that's a shame because he should be everybody's 1A if you needed a quarterback. And then ultimately, get to the draft and the Colts take a guy at four and then people think it's up there and Indianapolis is off the table. I always thought Atlanta made the most sense. Atlanta came out from day one and said we're not interested. I can't wrap my head around that. Does Washington get a new owner that star chases and goes, I want a franchise quarterback, I'll pay out? the $250 million in cash that needs to be handed to the league office. Ultimately, Baltimore, and I don't know if they find a way to meet in the middle on a short-term deal. I don't know if Lamar Jackson sits out the season, but there is no easy solution right now for one of the most exciting players in football. And that seems ridiculous, but that's the truth as it stands. I mean, it really is hard to imagine that a guy like that uh, doesn't have people knocking down his door. Real quick, and your, your service is a little spotty, but I want to get your thoughts on this. If the Deshaun Watson contract didn't exist and all that guaranteed money, would we be in the situation with Lamar Jackson, do you think? Connor, we're, we're, we're in a tough area, and I press my luck, and unfortunately uh, you're a little spotty. But great stuff as always, and we appreciate you hopping on. Thanks a lot.
Connor Rogers of uh, the Jets and pre and post game show on SNY also covers the NFL and the NFL draft for NBC Sports and several other outlets. I mean, that's the big thing right here, right? That Sean Watson gets his guaranteed money and Lamar Jackson wants his guaranteed money. I would love to know if that was not on the table and had never happened. Would Lamar even know to ask for that guaranteed money? I can't imagine that he would. And that's why they're in the situation they're in. Uh, this stalemate between Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I'll have more thoughts on that. We'll get back to your calls as well at 1-800-919-3776. We'll get back into the basketball and plenty more here on 98.7 ESPN New York.